Uh, you can turn to the book of Jonah if you prefer. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. In the Pew Bibles, it's page 658. We'll also have the words up here, or if you have a phone app, you can find Jonah. Um, when Pastor John asked me to speak, uh, he followed it by a text message, and he asked if I was feeling anxious. And I said, anxiety is not the right word, but I'm thinking about booking a boat ride to Tarshish. It's like, a, yeah, you get it. You guys know the Bible. So when it came to pick the content, he said, you know, why don't you talk on Jonah? And I said, all right, we'll do it. So that's where we're going to go. Uh, before we just dive into the middle of the Bible, I want you to give you um, air, uh, just an idea of where we are. So Jonah is referenced two other times in the Bible. He's referenced in 1 Kings, which is a historical book. It tells us when Jonah lived and when his ministry was. And he's referenced in the New Testament. He's one of the few prophets that Jesus references. There's some religious leaders standing around, and they say, well, if you think you're the Son of God, like, prove it. You know, give us a sign. And he says, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. So Jesus references this story as historical truth, and we're going to treat it that way. I'm going to give you a roadmap on where we're going. Uh, there's three journeys I want you to think about. The first journey is Jonah. Jonah and his relationship with God. We're going to attempt to cover the whole thing today. So we're going to try to get through all that. I'm going to share a story from my youth half a lifetime ago when I was 16 years old and my relationship with my parents that I hope is helpful. And then the third journey is your own. That's your work to do how, what God might have for you today and how you relate to your loved ones and to him, your heavenly father. Um, so before we dive in, let me just quickly pray for us. Dear Lord, thanks that we get to do church today, uh, that we get to worship you. God, your love never changes. It's everlasting, and we find ourselves loved by you, God. We open up this, uh, your word this morning. Help us, God, to open up our hearts, that we would uh, let your truth in, Lord God, and that you would, uh, your name would be lifted up in this place, and we would uh, treat you as you are, Lord, and lift you up as our wonderful Heavenly Father, God. Helps just to, to find you in this story, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Um, so Jonah's messed up once, and he's going to continue to mess up through the whole story. When God tells you to do something, you should probably just do it. He does the opposite. My story that I'm going to start starts in a place called Joppa, about 45 minutes down 95, Joppa, Maryland. And uh, there was conflict in my household when I was 16 years old. Me and my parents didn't get along as many parents and teenagers have that same experience. And uh, there was a straw that broke the camel's back. It was this fight that I had with my dad about how I wanted to join the wrestling team, and that was what I wanted to do. It was like everything I wanted in the world was to wrestle. And... Uh, he didn't let me, and I got really angry and upset. I didn't sleep that night, and I, uh, I came up with a plan. I packed up my guitar, a bag full of clothes, and a sleeping bag. I packed it into a car that was titled in my dad's name that I didn't own, and I had a learner's permit, not even a full driver's license, and uh, I drove that car into the night, and I became a runaway just like Jonah did. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, 
And there was a mighty tempest upon the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So there's something up with Jonah here. His head's not right. Um, and I, I was asleep in a rest stop south of Baltimore in a Mazda protege, and I thought that I was getting freedom. Uh, it's a weird picture. And verse 6, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us all to us that we may not perish. The sailors then find out that it's Jonah's fault, that the storm that God has brought on them is, is there, and they're all fearing for their lives. And they ask him who he is, and Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah confesses their good theology. He knows who he is. He knows who God is. Um, it's, we'll just continue to walk with him through the story. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. That word exceedingly we find five times in the book of Jonah. I don't think you're going to be able to leave today with missing it, but this story is dripping with emotion. Jonah's experience is, and the experience of these sailors who are fearing for their lives, it's an emotional story, and so is mine. The sailors uh, in the next section come up with this idea that they're going to row against God's storm, which is not a very good plan. As you can imagine, my plan as a teenage runaway was not a great plan. I was going to play guitar and sing, and I was going to support myself for the rest of my life that way. (laughs) <laughs> what I should have done was call home. I should have uh, pleaded to my, the authority, my parents that could care for me. The sailors kind of get it right. They cry out to God in verse 14, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done, has, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So you see what happens there. The storm is calmed. People turn to the Lord, not Jonah. He's in the fish, and uh, he's deep in emotion. I want you to put yourself in the fish, seaweed and all, and, and just imagine what it would feel like to be in the fish. It's a very unique experience. Jonah doesn't write um, a scientific journal here. He doesn't write a novel. When you're feeling feelings, as, as you can, might tell, I'm a pretty emotional person. In my teen years, I used to write songs and write poems. Jonah gives us a poem. It's poetic. It's a prayer. And he talks about how I've sinned, but God saved. You know, I was leading towards death, but God gave me life. And it comes to a head at the, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. And you can make a highlight this. This is the thesis of Jonah. Verse 8, it says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. In the NIV it says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away for God's love from them. Turn away from God's love for them. So that's that's a lesson. You know, you're gonna cling to things that are temporary and they're not the things that you should cling to, and that those things that you hold on to are actually gonna pull you away from the Lord. And then in verse 9, Jonah kind of makes a deal with God. Uh, He perceives that God is far away and distant. He knows that God's the only one that can save him, but he doesn't feel a closeness with God. And he says, all right, God, only you can save me. I'm, I'm going to make vows to you, and I promise I'm going to make them good. Just get me out of this fish. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah spends a total of three days in the fish. Um, I spent a total of three days away from home. 
at the wise advice of the parents of my friend who I was staying with in Western Maryland. She said, John, you know, you should call home. And I did. And I talked to my mom, and she was crying. And uh, I was so selfish. I didn't think about how my actions were affecting my loved ones. Um, and so that changed my behavior. And I, I started making my way back home. Jonah's behavior changes here, and he's going to obey God. Um, but he's, he's not done with idols yet, as we're going to see. There's still work that needs to be done in his heart. In Jonah chapter 3, 1 through 9, um, God speaks again. He says the same exact thing he said in the beginning. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah obeys this time, and he preaches that sermon that God has for him. It's in verse 4. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all we get. That's the sermon that we see. And the people of Nineveh believed God. The Bible tells us that sin is bad. It creates separation between us and God. And to see 120,000 people, that's how many people are in this city, repent and turn from their sin is a really good thing. It's a really good thing. I think there's probably hundreds of people back in Israel that were qualified to do this work that God had. And probably 99 of them probably would have made it easy on the Lord. They would have obeyed on the first shot. I don't think God chose Jonah because of how well he would labor and how good he was going to do at the task. I think God wanted to show Jonah something. He wanted Jonah to see this. He wanted the, the Jonah 3 continues and the king all the way down to the livestock repent. And down in verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. We're trying to understand who this God is, right? And when we look at God in the Old Testament, we see swift and final judgment of people that it's hard to wrestle with sometimes. But you have to look at things like this, where God responds. It's, it's, I see in the text that God's changing his mind here. He sees repentance, and mercy comes from his heart and he spares these people. The, uh, there's a similar verse that I like in Genesis chapter, well, I'm going to forget the chapter, the Noah and the Ark story. God, before God floods the whole earth, it says that he was grieved in his heart that he ever created man, but because all they did was sin. And what the Bible's trying to tell us about is who God is. And he's not just some distant power, but he has a heart for you, he's concerned for you, and he loves you. Jonah doesn't get that. Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. If, if you take the tone out, Jonah's theology is really good. Again, he knows who God is. He knows that he loves others. But us runaways, we, we don't just have head problems. It wasn't information as a 16-year-old that I was lacking. I didn't need to like, have somebody tell me what a monthly budget looks like and how I wouldn't be able to afford it. Uh, I had a heart problem. I was angry at my dad, and uh, I wasn't thinking rationally. And, and Jonah's got a heart problem as well. He keeps speaking. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? I think we're supposed to be sad here as we read. I think God is sad. After all this, after this great work that happened in Nineveh, Jonah is suicidal. He feels worthless, and he doesn't value his own life. He's God's prophet. Like, he's the number one guy. Like, God's choosing him to work through him. Can you imagine that? 
he's been spared from three days on a fish. That was how miraculous that was, and, and this is how he feels. When we don't know who we are in God's kingdom, uh, it's sad. In verse 5, we pick up. Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. There's that exceedingly word again. Jonah's showing us in all the emotions. It's, it's like, all right, forget about all the tough stuff. This is the life. His idols are filling him up to the max. I don't think it's just that he's into plants. <laughs> it's not the plant. It's, have you ever worked really hard and you didn't feel recognized? Jonah's getting that now. God's making a miracle for him. Jonah feels this is how things should go. He feels recognized. He feels loved. He feels cared for and comforted. And God's actions are falling in line with Jonah's expectations of who God ought to be. It doesn't last long in verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he, he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So the exceeding gladness that comes from your idols, it's, uh, it's temporary. It disappeared pretty quick. This is the last thing that Jonah says, and uh, I want you to note Jonah is just opening up his heart here. There's nothing good in there. And uh, he's not just angry at his circumstances. This is pretty serious. He's angry at who God is. And then verse 10 and 11 as we finish. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. At this point, I'll finish my story. From Western Maryland, it was about a four-hour drive home. I came home, and my mom said to me, Johnny, don't you ever do that again. The end. There you go. There's more to it, right? That's how I felt when I read Jonah. I, fl I flipped in the page, and I'm like, wait, that's Micah. Where's Jonah chapter 5? I feel like we didn't get the whole story. So I hope we can unpack that today. Uh, what I know about Jonah is it's an autobiography. I know that Jonah's telling us his story. And I'll tell you how I know that. The Gospels are stories about Jesus, but they're not written by him. When Jesus goes off to pray, it says, and Jesus went off to pray. And then the next morning, because there's no witnesses there, right? Jonah lays out for us the intimate details of what he's feeling, what he's praying in the fish. We see, we see it all. So this story is either penned by Jonah himself or this is a faithful retelling of the story that Jonah decided to tell. So why did he give us this information? At first, it was confusing to me, right? Why does he even re write the book? Because it doesn't do anything for his reputation. He could have made it less personal. He could have talked about this big work that happened in Nineveh. And then if he does talk about himself to the extent that he does, why doesn't he just shine it up a little bit and show some redeeming qualities in himself? I knew it wasn't um, the Word of God that had to change. It was my perspective. So as I kept reading it, 
Um, I decided to focus on uh, what God says in this book. He doesn't speak very many words. He speaks five times. He says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry about the plant? And then he concludes the book with verses 10 and 11. And if you were to paraphrase those verses, um, I, I would say, well, Jonah, you care about temporary things, and I care about big, important, eternal things like souls, and Jonah, you would do well um, to focus on those. As I kept reading, I kept reading. There's that phrase in there. Jonah, you care about that plant for which you did not labor. For which you did not labor. And I think that's like a hinge verse upon which Jonah chapter 5, 6, 7, and the rest of his life pivots. Why is God talking about labor? You look at the story, Jonah's not working very hard. He's not a really good servant. But God is busy. He's doing miracle after miracle. If we think about Jesus and those skeptical religious leaders that said, okay, if you're the son of God, show us a sign. And Jesus does say something profound in that Jesus and that Jonah spends three days in the fish and then he's going to save a lot of people. And Jesus is going to spend three days in the earth and he's going to save a lot of people. What I think Jesus is also saying is, you think you're going to believe in me and love me if I just show you a sign and a miracle? Look at Jonah. Look how busy I was. Look at all those miracles I was doing. And he, and he still had a bad attitude. What what we need is faith. It's not believing in the things you see. It's believing in the things you don't see. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because in order to please God, you have to believe that he exists and that he rewards those that diligently seek him. You're saved by grace through faith, not by your labor, so that you might boast. Jonah's not laboring in chapter 1 through 4, and uh, Jonah's not boasting either. He's giving us the story about God's grace. So why is, why is Jonah laid out this way and why do we have this book? It's fit for purpose to show us God and who God is. We see what God does, we see how Jonah responds. We see what God says and how Jonah feels. And we get this whole play-by-play through this entire story. We're told multiple times in the Bible that, Jonah's le- that God is like a father to us. Um, but I think we kind of default to seeing him as more distant. But God's drawing near. Let me retell the end of my story four-hour drive. By God's grace, I made it safely. I parked on the side of the road as to not block the driveway. I was unpacking my things, and I was walking towards my door, and I see my mother. My mother stands all of about five foot one. She's got these round cheeks, because despite a life of uh, hardship and difficulty, there's been a lot of joy and a lot of laughter, and she has kind eyes. As I walk through the door, her eyes are welling up with tears. She wraps her arms around me and she says, Johnny, don't you ever do that again. Something about Asian parents is they are they're meek and they're humble in heart. They don't tell you they love you. They show you how they love you by sacrificial labor. What my mom didn't say was, John, don't you remember the soccer practices, the piano lessons? how we kept up with your grades. John, it was the three A's, athletics, academics, and the arts. We were raising you, John, to be a well-rounded person. Remember that those summer vacations, you just wanted to throw them away watching reruns of Gilligan's Island. I put together a binder, and I took you and your brother out on that back porch for an hour a day, and I taught you the Bible, John, about the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom and the prophecies and about the, the acts of Christ and the early church. God, John, I put the word of God into your heart, and you're throwing it all away. And don't you see what that does to my heart? 
Don't you see how concerned I am? Don't you see how much we've labored for you? And my dad was there, and he was making sure I was okay. My dad used to take me out in the garage and show me uh, how to change oil in his car, how to change spark plugs. And I thought, I thought my dad was just a car guy. He drove a 1985 Toyota Tercel station wagon for 18 years. My dad is not a car guy. <laughs> he taught me about stocks and how to manage money. My dad was caring for my future, and I was so wrapped up in my present moment as who I was as a sophomore in high school that I, I missed that he was loving me and loving me as a man and paving the way and caring for my future. And on that topic that we fought about, about me not joining the wrestling team, I think, I think my dad heard all the arguments that I laid out. I felt like at the time that he wasn't listening to me. I think he knew that I was okay at soccer and I was okay at lacrosse, but if I could compete in my weight class, man, I really could have been good. But my dad also knew that young men crave glory, and he knew my rebellious heart. And I think he knew that what Jonah found out in the fish in chapter 2, verse 8, that if I were to cling to glory in sport, that might make it more difficult for me to give glory to God. Despite my experience as a teenager and feeling unloved and unvaluable, I was being rooted and built up in love that whole time. My life would rotate on that hinge moment of coming home, and I would slowly heal and be reconciled to my family. I just want to take a break here and give you an olive branch. If you're not connecting with the story of Jonah, if you're not connecting with my story, um, it might be about this concept of God as a father. And I can level with you because I didn't feel that great about this concept either, as you can tell with my problems I had with my dad. It wasn't a focus on my earthly father or masculinity or patriarchy that warmed me up to God. It was, it was the word of God washing over my heart, learning what God really means when he says he's our dad, he's our father, that changed my heart. And an interesting thing happened. I grew in adoration of my parents. When worldly teenagers have godly parents, they have no idea how well they're blessed. Uh, we don't get to pick our parents, but God chose those two souls to be my parents. And I have a good dad, and he's got a wife of noble character, and my mom. And I'm just so thankful for them, and I love them. Parents, I know this story might be a little hard to hear, um, and I'm sorry. There's a point in every kid's life where God is in control, and you don't have as, as much control as a parent, and um, I'll just tell you to do what my parents did and just pray fervently. God is a God that loves bringing sheep back to the fold. He loves seeing prodigal sons come home. I think it's one of his favorite things. I hear that there's a lot of rejoicing in heaven for just every single sinner that repents. And if there's kids here with us today, um, don't run away from home. Just hear it from me. <laughs> You're going you're gonna to hurt the people that God's given you to love, and you're going to regret it. So that's my story. The stakes seem pretty high, but I, if you think the stakes are higher in my story than in Jonah's, you missed it. The stakes are so high. God's chosen prophet is running away from God. He's seeing miracle after miracle, and he's, he, he wants to die. God sends all these things. His tone, the last thing he says, I hope you recognize it. That's how a teenager talks to his dad. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And I hear in God's response, uh, you know, Jonah, one day you're going to regret speaking to me that way. But what he, what he says is, Jonah, listen, I get it. I know the things that you're concerned about. 
I want you to think about the things I'm concerned about. I want you to think about how I'm laboring for you. That's the last thing God has to say. I don't think it was immediate, but I think over time, as Jonah thought about it, that was all God had to say. He reflected on his journey. He saw God's heart that was revealed to him in those words, and it melted his heart. And now he can, he can talk about the story in chapter 1 through 4 as an out-of-body experience because he's not that person anymore. He was crying out in the fish, and he thought he was going to die. He thought God was far from him. And now he can say, God appointed me that fish. I needed that fish. God appointed that worm to destroy my idols so that he, he was drawing me closer to him. Managers fire people. Managers don't love like this. Kings don't love like this. This is how a dad loves his kids. I hope you know your love that way. If you're a Christian here, like most of us are, you are being rooted and built up in love. And there's a really good chance that it doesn't feel like it. Because of our work perspectives, because of our idols. Uh, I could probably take another half hour unpacking idols. There's so much in it, but I'll, I won't, I'll spare you. <laughs> but what we see here from Jonah is that Jonah's perspective is messed up because he is clinging to things, and what those things do to him is they make him angry, they make him not value his life, they even make him suicidal, and they make him feel distant from God. So if you have some of those symptoms, you might be able to trace that back to an idol in your life. Another thing about idols, the things, the things we cling to, they tend to be really good things. Being a great dad, providing for your family, loving your kids and having great kids and raising great kids, these things, if we hold on to them too tight, they crush us. God's trying to crush the idol and not you. And sometimes that hurts. And it feels like discipline. His harshness and his distance to you now, I hope, maybe in 10 years, might feel like humble and steadfast love. That his love for you is subtle and it's meek and humble in heart. So if I can, as we close here, just check back in with us. We, we heard a lot about faith recently. Three weeks ago, it was Pastor John talking about how we're a people of faith. Then it was Jason talking about the four lepers, how they had to go in faith and how God was fighting the battle for them. Andrew compelled us last week to have oil in our lamps, to have a faith that's ready. If I have something to add, it's who the object of our faith is. It's who our God is. And I don't want you to miss that his love for you is so tender. Listen, if there's hope for uh, sinners like me and sinners like Jonah, you better believe you're, you're close. You're in there with them. You're part of the family, and you're loved unconditionally. Jonah got called, and his perspective made all of the things that God was calling to sound like a religious chore. But God chased him down. He was redeemed. And as his journey continued, he found himself caught up in the heart of God. And that's where I want to be. That's where I hope you want to be, that we would be reconciled to God. I'm going to close with that verse that Chris read. It's a verse you can't whisper. Uh, you got to shout it out. It's 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we would be called children of God. And that's who we are. It makes me want to sing, uh, but first let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's us, it's your kids. Thank you for chasing down Jonah, Lord, and letting him live to tell us the story. It shows us your heart. God, thank you for chasing down uh, me and not letting me go, God. God, we want to draw near to this heart. We want to we be concerned about the things you're concerned about, and, and we want to let go of the things that are killing us, God. Thank you for your labor on our behalf.
Help us to be thankful for it. And let us always be saying that we love you too, God. And let us always be returning to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.